welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that is focused on the behind-the-scenes machinations of the films that you love to watch. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And this week, we are going to be talking about uh, some interesting aspects of filmmaking, uh, specifically in light of the release of Solo, uh, having to do with uh, original cuts that we would like to see of different films that have had director changes from time to time, and a couple of other things, uh, news and bits from the Star Wars Galaxy and from Star Trek Discovery. But before we get into that, of course, the nerdparty.com slash contact, you can find great shot kid and go ahead and send us a line we'll get an email you can go to at join nerd party on twitter the nerd party on instagram facebook.com slash the nerd party use the hashtag great shot kid let us know that you're listening and uh, whether or not you're getting groceries because we like to know that and so we find ourselves uh, post solo uh, while everybody is uh, releasing their reaction shows and such and uh, we've been pretty vocal online with our own reactions and those sorts of things. Um, but with the release of Solo, we have an interesting question, which is uh, original cuts, work prints even, of films that experienced tumult or changes behind the scenes and uh, what original cuts we might like to see as we go along. You know, for instance, just to set the stage, um, everybody knows about Richard Donner being replaced for Superman 2 by Richard Lester. And Richard Lester shot enough new footage that he got listed as the sole director on Superman 2. Uh, we eventually did get a Richard Donner cut of Superman 2, such as it was, using some work print footage and some audition footage and, and, those, and the original ending, which was, in fact, used for Superman the movie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, Mike, you know, given Solo and its... Uh, somewhat tepid reception across the board. Do you think that you want to see an original cut of this film? The cut that Lord Miller had at the time that they were fired? Yes, definitely I do. I really, really, really do. Because I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, what they had planned. I don't know how it would have been different. I'm kind of curious as to which scenes were theirs because... And, and I'm guessing that probably at some point down the line we'll f kind of find out how that all worked out. I have theories on certain scenes. Like, I kind of think the scene where Han and Chewie meet for the first time was Lord and Miller's because the visual style, like, they, I'm like, they're using that, like, bungee camera that you see in, like, X2 when, when Wolverine is fighting... Uh, the, the Kelly who, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and then like I saw a video where on like Bradford young and, you know, shooting the movie and sure enough, the camera was hooked up to some bungee cords. I'm like, Hey, look at that. But it just seems like such a different style from the rest of the movie. There's like one other scene, which uses that kind of like technique that it just, it just felt out of place compared to everything else, which had been done. And also there was like a behind the scenes thing where they asked like uh, the guy who plays Chewbacca, like, what's your favorite or least favorite, you know, whatever. And he's like, oh, the scene where, you know, Han and Chewie meet was really, really annoying to shoot because it's, it was very messy, you know. 
and he, I mean, he was basically like, oh, it's a great scene or whatever, but it was not fun at all, you, you know? And the fact that he kind of referred to it in that way made me think, like, they didn't reshoot it. And so I don't know. I, I just have a feeling. But obviously we know, like, all the Paul Bettany stuff is new and, and everything. Yep. You know, and, and there were, I don't know, if, if I'm, I'm sure that we're going to see, like, lots of behind-the-scenes stuff, which will kind of indicate... You know, but it, n- nothing really stood out as being exceptionally different. And, you know, I am curious as to, to, to what was what was added or not added or whatever. But more than that, I mean, just, you know, with the editing and everything, too, like, I, I want to know what it was that Lord and Miller were doing, which was so different that they felt the need to redo like more than half the movie, you know? Yeah. I, it's a valid question. I mean, I think that there's definitely some personality conflicts that we don't know about that we'll probably never get insight on. I'm legitimately curious as to how expansive the, uh, the additional material on home release will even be because before last Jedi there you know, it, it was like here, like five featurettes and a scene. So, and that's all you get. You know, so I think we're going to find ourselves back in that territory with Solo, which I'm fine with. I have a, I have just sort of a, you know, like a film buffs interest in, like, like you, like what was so different? What could have been so different? Because that's the thing that's been cited consistently. But I think also what we might be getting to is just, you know, with, um, and I can't pronounce his name, so I'll just also say the guy who plays Chewbacca. Um, there, there were just a lot of things about people weren't happy, like crew and and cast were not happy working with Lord Miller in yeah, some I mean, that's some certainly. capacity. I mean, did you see that interview with Amelia Clark? Um, yes, yeah. She, she definitely did not seem to be happy with Lord and Miller. You know, a lot of people are talking about how, you know, Howard saved the movie and everything like that. And I guess, see, that's the thing is, you know, this is always sort of framed in this context of like, you know, oh, the movie was bad. He came in and made it better. And my my whole thing has always been like, that that could very well be true, you know. I I I do not at all doubt it. As a matter of fact, I bet you the movie that he put up on screen was better than the movie that Lord and Miller would have put up on screen, you know. But the fact of the matter is, like, I don't care. Like, I want to see the sure. vision of these filmmakers, and if it's a bad then it's bad and i don't that's not a concern of mine you know you know what i mean like i'd say i'd say <laughs> i i'd say though that you have a unique perspective because it's you know it's one of those things where it's like i i mean honestly with how the reception has been in terms of you know box office receipts which of course you know now we're having a whole box office debate again blah 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 but like in terms of the box office receipts it's almost like they should have just been like yeah screw it let's just release this you know like they they didn't they didn't get the windfall maybe that they had hoped by swapping for ron howard or whatever i mean i don't care either way because 
you know, full disclosure, I loved the film. I thought it was fantastic and a great time and had a great time watching it. I And so my interest really is purely curiosity, you know, to, to see it. And uh, we never will. I suspect, you know, just in the age of sort of like YouTube and stuff like that, I think that we'll see occasionally bits and pieces of it leaked mm-hmm. uh, by people who might feel that certain scenes out of context were better than what you saw otherwise and stuff like that. But, you know, when you're talking about, you know, oh, well, they were shooting it this way or shooting it that way. I mean, you know, if you want to go back to even like Return of the Jedi or even the rationale for hiring Irvin Kershner, where Lucas was like, I just hate shooting. I just hate being there on the set every day. So I'm just hiring people to just here are your storyboards. Let's shoot these scenes and get the footage to me and then I'll take care of it in the editing bay. Like I I'm curious from the perspective of how how quote unquote bad could the footage have been? You know, like, was it unusable footage? Was it something that an editor sat down and looked at and was like, I I got nothing, guys. I I don't know what they're doing here, you know? Yeah, and and I wonder how much of it, too, is maybe stuff that was reshot, like with the the Lester Donner thing on Superman 2, you know, I mean... Mm -hmm. Stories that I've heard, you know, who knows whether or not they're true, but that like a lot of the movie needed to be changed in order to give Lester credit, right? And I saw this whole video online where they broke it down and kind of like explained the rules of the Directors Guild, which was fascinating, where they basically say like, if a director shoots more than 90% of principal photography, then they are contractually um, obligated to let this person stay with it through the process, right? Through, like, all of post-production, which is, like, why they didn't fire Gareth Edwards, right? Because Mm -hmm. they had finished principal photography and then decided to change it. So Edwards had to be there to consult. Not that they had to do anything that he said, but he was at least allowed to be there they couldn't just fire him right right whereas like here they're at like 75 percent of the movie being shot when they fire lord and miller and they're saying like well that must have been a tough call but probably the reason why they did it was because they're like time is running out and if we don't do it now then we're going to be stuck with these guys until the end right so yeah, I, I but but at the same time, like I go back and I think um, then also you know not to keep referring to Superman two, I'll go back to the Godfather. Like one of the producers, Robert Evans, insisted for years and years that that wasn't Coppola's cut that we all saw and fell in love with. He said numerous times in interviews that he deserved more credit because Coppola shot all the footage and like put together a cut. And then Evans said, I came in and made that thing watchable. He's like, it was nuts. And, you know, and you hear about stuff like, I think the ratio was either on Godfather or Godfather Part 2 that the ratio of film shot to film used was like 30 to 1. So when you think about that, that's like, that's insane. You know, when you talk about like, you know, wow. I think it got even higher with Apocalypse Now, right? Oh, yeah. No, Apocalypse Now, I'm sure there's there's like a 400-hour cut out there somewhere. You know? I mean, like, I remember Walter Mertz saying that, like, if you break down the time that was spent editing Apocalypse Now per edits in the film, we averaged 
two cuts a day <laughs> or something wow. like that, you know? Wow. Like, that's how long it took them to, to edit the movie or something. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, th- th- that stuff is, you know, whatever. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 like, I don't, I don't blame them for doing what they did or whatever. And I don't even necessarily think that they thought that like Ron Howard was going to come in and, you know, but I think of course you're trying to build a brand and obviously this is very important to them and, and, you know, they need to, people are expecting a certain like standard, a certain level of, of quality and everything and a certain type of product, which is why, you know, even though apparently there's like 50 episodes of that, you know, star Wars, uh, Overboard. TV show? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I forget what it's called. I always forget. You know, Underworld, I think. No, it's not Isn't Underworld. That was that was the rumored name of the live action show. Right. No, I'm okay. talking about the uh, the cartoon by the robot chicken guys. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh, what was that called? Um, I always forget. Something canceled before it started. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But there's like 50 episodes in the can. You know. Yeah. And. They just they didn't release them because they're like this is not what we want people to think of when they think of Star Wars, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, though, I go back to it's got to be somebody ticked someone off, you know? That's I, not no, that's I, I no I like I can't the personalities play into this. Like people like to believe that there is some sort of like sterile. Um, you know, interaction that goes on or something like that. But you're dealing with creators and and their managers and people who are involved in the process. You cannot exist without some sort of personality conflict occurring along the way. No, see, I, I really don't think that that's the case in this particular instance because, you know, you got to look at the timing. Like, they announced the show, right? We know from, you know, that... that these animated shows, they, they make them, you know, years in advance, right? So they announce the show, and then the sale happens before it airs. And, like, I remember, like, we like right after that happened, like, we had talked to um, the, the guy who wrote the, the Lego Star Wars stuff, uh, Mike Price, right? Mm-hmm. Who had also written a few episodes of this show. And we're like, this is all we want to see, and now we're not going to see it? This is some, you know, BS. And he's like, you have to understand that they just spent $4 billion making this. They need to protect their brand. They need to protect their image. And, like, he wasn't bitter about it at all or anything. He's just like, of course this isn't going to happen, you know? So you think we would have seen it if Lucas had not sold to Disney? Yeah. this still would have seen the light of day? Definitely, I do. I could be wrong. I, no, I I, no, the do. thing is, I... I can't disagree with that because Lucas was always willing, you know, his philosophy always seemed to be pretty consistently, eh, it's just a movie, you know, if people don't, okay, you know, like, let's just try it. Let's see what, let's see what happens. Right. Um, I'm sure he would have been. So sure. I mean, at the same time, I'm sure he would have been the first one to fire Lord and Miller and probably come in and redo it himself. But what, but would he though? Because reading the making of Return of the Jedi there was very much an undercurrent of... Now, granted, Lucas had a lot of things going on in his life, but Marquand was not like their first choice. And uh, Kazanjian actually said in the making of Return of the Jedi, when they got back the first uh, assembly cut that uh, that Marquand put together, 
he talked about like there were certain things of like even visual you know like rules of visual spacing and and uh, and and, mo- and motion where they said oh dear now lucas never said a bad word about marquand in public ever yeah. and there you know nobody ever trashed marquand or anything like that but apparently it was a sort of similar situation where it was like by the time it got done, they were like, yeah, all right, we're just going to fix this. We're just going to make this work. Maybe that's what would have happened. Maybe he would have let him do the whole thing, let, let them do the whole thing, and then stepped in himself and said, okay, now let's, you know, like, you know, because, I mean, like, that's what he did on Red Tails, although he, he shot the three shoots himself because uh, Hemingway wasn't free. But, yeah, you know. I guess maybe that is a more likely scenario. But I mean, the thing is, without getting, you know, just staying strictly in, you know, Star Wars and Superman territory, what are some other original cuts that you would want to see? Like stuff you, you know where there's a different version of this that existed and you want to see it. If we're talking about just in general, there's a million billion things, probably starting with. <laughs> Uh, Irving Kirshner's director's cut of Empire Strikes Back, right? But if we're going to narrow it down to scenarios like this, where there are, you know, like someone else has come in and redone, you know, yes, this thing. I mean, there, there's a lot of examples. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think of, of some of the, the, the bigger ones, but, I mean, some that come to mind off the top of my head would be, uh, well, just recently... You know, everyone talks about uh, the Zack Snyder cut of um, yeah. Justice League. I would definitely want to see that. Now, I'm not going to start going hashtag release the Snyder cut, which doesn't exist, right? Like, I'm not going to start, you know, because I think what you would really need to do in that case, and then also probably in the case of Solo and everything like that, is you'd have to do what they did with Alien 3 and actually, like, reconstruct it from notes and everything sure. and, and, you know, all that stuff, just like they did with Touch of Evil, you know, which is yeah. great and definitely worked out very I, well. I've, I've never seen that version of it. I've only seen the theatrically released version of Touch of Evil, and I thought it was great. It, it is great, but, and it's weird, because the first time I saw either of them, like, they were re-releasing it in theaters, you know, this cut, this new cut, and so I'm like, okay, well, let me watch the original cut first, and then I'll watch this cut and see, you know. And I watched the original cut, and I'm like, okay, this is kind of slow. This is kind of boring, whatever. And then I watched the new cut, which, you know, I mean, the thing about that is it, it there's not really much difference in terms of footage. It's more how it's reorganized right it's like mm-hmm. the same footage in like different order essentially and it felt so much faster and 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 so much more intense and all the uh, the rest of it yeah. it's it's such a better version of the movie i i definitely highly recommend it uh because it, okay. it really really works well um okay. So you would have to do that for a lot of these things. You'd have to do that for the Lord and Miller cut. You'd have to do that for the Snyder cut, which doesn't exist, you know, and everything. Um, but what what about you? What are some examples? Uh, I'm trying to think of some more myself. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I think the Snyder cut is there. I mean, I, granted, it pulls us back into the Star Wars discussion, but I am desperate to see Gareth Edwards' uh, original 
assembly cut of uh, of Rogue One, specifically mm-hmm. because Ben Mendelsohn oopsied during an interview that one time, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, there's a vastly different version of this film. It was way different than, than what got out there. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like, would I have responded better to this one? Like, I legit really want to see it. And it's like, I wish... It's so bizarre because I really think that Star Wars fans, long, long-standing Star Wars fans, are different. They're a different breed in the sense that they want to see these alternate versions mm-hmm. of everything. Yeah. I want to see the assembly cut of Star Wars. I remember in the Luke, in the uh, the Star Wars Insider. I almost said Lucasfilm fan club, but like in the Star Wars Insider. Uh, the guy who went and he said, you know, he described watching the original, like, assembly cut of Star Wars and, like, how different it was. And I'm like, I want to see that, like, so incredibly bad. Yeah. Like, I really want to see that, uh, uh, you know, a whole lot. I mean, you know, it, it's it's tough because a lot of times, like, I think back and I'm like, well, you know, I really like this film. Would I want to see an alternate version of it? And I think the only time that you really want to see the alternate version of something is when you know for a fact that there's just some sort of substantial difference. And so it just it awakens that sort of underlying, almost like clinical side of you, where it's like this will not replace the released version of the film. But in some cases, like I think it's almost dangerous because what happens if someone like I saw the Donner cut of Superman too? Yeah, I thought it was a better movie. Period. Like even though it's using you know like work print and audition footage, I'm like, yeah, oh, that's that's just better. I just like that better. You know, it just actually works better. Yeah. And so there's a there's a danger, especially when you're talking about a giant franchise. I mean, what's interesting to me is this thought never enters my brain with like Marvel films. Right? Is there any discussion? of director's cuts or anything like that with Marvel films. I've never encountered anything where somebody says, oh, yeah, I really liked Winter Soldier, but I'd really like to see what the Russos put together first before they trimmed it down. You know, like there's no, there's nothing floating out there. Like, but almost every other franchise you can look at and they they trimmed it down. You know, Batman versus Superman, that extended cut is better than what they released in theaters. Yeah, Period. but that's just kind of, I mean, they added some stuff, but it's not like it's a game changer, you know? Uh, the first two-thirds of it, it's a game changer. Like, I would have been much more into it uh, until uh, Nuclear Bizarro Doomsday Man showed up, um, I, I which, it, which was really the deal-breaker for me on that film. I, like, I mean, like, the the Rogue One thing is interesting because... Yeah, I definitely want to see the original cut of that because I want to see how different it was. But I really do think that that's a case where the studio may have stepped in and said, this is not working, we need to change it. And they may have essentially taken it away from Gareth Edwards and had you know Tony Gilroy change it himself. But I think at the end of the day, like Gareth Edwards would be like, yeah, it's better now. You know, I really get that impression, and like, I don't know. Did you did you listen to that that Tony Gilroy interview? Where no, I I keep forgetting to. I it's, need to. It's I, I would like to. So good. Uh, the guy, I think his name is Brian Koppelman. He's like one of the writers on uh, 
He did like Ocean's 13 and the Girlfriend Experience. He does that show Billions. He did Rounders. I guess that's everyone. Knows oh, I love that film. And he, he does a podcast. And, you know, so he's talking to people who, you know, like he's friends with Tony Gilroy, right? So it's not like a journalist talking to, to him. And this is like the first time that Gilroy has ever talked about Rogue One. And because of that, he felt, I think, a little at ease and sort of opened up about the thing a bit. Mm. Like he's like, this is the first time I've ever talked about this. And, you know, like Koppelman is like, you saved the movie, you know, and he's like, what did you do? And Gilroy's like, uh, I he's like, it, they're like, well, you thought you could fix it, you know, or whatever. And Gilroy says just flat out, he says the movie was in such bad shape that there is no way that I could have made it worse. He said that. And <laughs> now I gotta see the original cut. And, and Come he's on. like, and then, but then he starts talking about. He's like, you know, because the the interviewer is like, well, you were brought in. You know, what made you think that you could make a change? What made you think that you could make this better? You know, is that something that that you're interested in doing? You know, do you do that with other movies or whatever? And he's like, it's all on a case by case basis. But in this case, you know, I watched the movie, and it was very very clear what needed to happen and he said like i mean he didn't get into specific scenes or whatever but he's like this is a movie where everybody dies you know this is a movie about sacrificing yourself for the greater good and yet that theme was missing from the movie right like that was gone and he's like that's what the whole movie is about it's about these people going on a mission and then dying and that idea of you know you know being you know willing to sacrifice yourself for something more like that's not in the movie he's like once you realize that then it becomes really really easy to fix it and interesting you know i mean he gets he gets really candid I mean, it's a great interview i mean yeah yeah i i i definitely i definitely want to see it i mean the thing is like i want to see an original cut of the last jedi even which is a film you know I wasn't enamored of. Yeah. But like looking at all of that cut stuff, I want to see where it was when it was like three hours and ten minutes long. I mean, I, I guess... Do. I want to see that cut of the film because, I mean, as much as I'll still hate a lot of things that happened in it, uh, and, you know, one specific subplot, like there are certain things in the cut scenes where I'm like, why on earth would you cut this out? See, I, This I heard... is better than certain things that I saw in the film. Like I would have cut... A in favor of B. See, I I heard that a lot, and and then I went and I'm like, okay, I guess I better watch these cut scenes, which is something which I normally don't do. I mean, it's weird because like, really, you know, when, when I that was seems, 13 years that, old, I would have you know given my my left pinky to see a single deleted scene from any of the original trilogy movies, and now there's like, here's 20 minutes of unused footage from Last Jedi, and I'm like. I'm going to have to like scroll through this menu and then click. That seems like a lot of work just to see a deleted oh, please. scene. You know, you know, you know uh, but, you, but, no. but here's the thing, right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that that's a weird whatever with me. Maybe I've just become jaded because I've seen so many deleted scenes over the span of my life. But I made the point of watching that after everything that everyone was saying about these, right? Because I'm like, everyone's talking about these things being great. I need to see them. And, in particular, I remember like the two that everyone was talking about were 
the one where Luke reacts to Han dying and then the one where Phasma gets killed, right? And those were the two that everyone talked about. So I'm like, okay, let me watch these two. And with both of them, I thought, that's fine, but they're not necessary. And especially with the Phasma one, I I was thinking about it within the context of the movie, and I'm like, that would really, you know, it's like the movie would stop there and then it would have to start up again. You know, it's about pacing. It's about the whole thing, how it fits together in the overall context of the whatever, you know? And I mean, you hear things like that all the time where directors are like, this was my favorite scene in the entire movie and I had to cut it out for pacing reasons. And, And like, they're the ones who cut it out. Right. And I mean, I can totally understand that, you know? And I think that's what they did here. And I think the movie mm. is better without those two scenes in them. I um, I think we'll just respectfully disagree okay. about the inclusion of them. Um, you know, because uh, you know that I I I think Phasma's appearance in the film and the in the cut that exists is pretty much pointless. Let's just move on from that. But the thing is, while you're talking about the difficulty of scrolling through and looking at these things, what you remind me of is a very peculiar memory. Because the first time on DVD that I encountered something where it really intrigued me about seeing the original cut of something was uh, uh, Die Hard. There was a DVD version of Die Hard that came out where they said, here's the Hans Gruber talking to Mr. Takagi scene. And you get to watch all of Alan Rickman's. It was like five different versions of Alan Rickman telling him to sit down. Mm-hmm. And it was like five different versions of something. And you had to put together the things to see oh, how yeah. you would have created the scene and stuff like that. Yeah. That was laborious. I remember doing it like once. And I was like, I this is awful. This is an, an unbelievably terrible experience. And the first time... Actually, it was another Die Hard film, that same set that they released. When I saw the original ending that had been shot for Die Hard with a Vengeance, I practically shot out of my chair shouting, why didn't you have this ending? Mm -hmm. Like the ending of Die Hard with a Vengeance, that movie is a five-star masterpiece until like the last 30 seconds of it. And I'm like, "What? what just happened? But like I forgive it because... Everything leading up to it is so great, but that ending, it just derails everything, and I remember seeing that original ending, and they had a commentary from the screenwriter, and uh, just for anybody who hasn't seen this or done the, you know, isn't obsessed with the Die Hard films, uh, it was the first time the screenwriter had seen the scene shot. He had written the scene, and it was the first time he was seeing it, and like it's going along, it's like, oh yeah, and he explains, you know, the, the... the interstitial stuff you would have seen leading up to it. And then it gets really silent while the whole thing goes. And like for the last minute, he's offering no commentary. And then at the end, you just hear, well, I, uh, I don't know. I kind of like that better <laughs> or, or worse to that effect. And I was like, yes, I agree with you. Why yeah. did you change it? It's so bizarre why they changed it. And that, that does happen a lot. I mean, and and there are times where it's like, you know, a lot of times it was like studio driven changes, especially like, I mean, you'd see, when, when deleted scenes started becoming a thing was, you know, 
still d- during the time period where um, studios were, I mean, I, this has never changed, I don't think, but like studios were basically exerting their control over filmmakers, right, and changing cuts and everything. Like, I mean, I remember asking like a, a teacher in film school who had worked on numerous movies as in the editing department. I'm like, how often, like aside from people like Terry Gilliam, like how often does a director actually get final cut? And what we're seeing like on the screen is the final cut uh, of the director. And they're like, never, ne- never. Something is always changed by the studio. And there are times where obviously, like in the case of Rogue One or whatever, there's a lot of changes. And, you know, but but also like there was those, this market for these scenes and like the one that, the two that really stuck out to me were, um, one was Final Destination, where they changed the ending. And the original ending was much more personal and uh, sort of like grounded and everything. And basically uh, when the test audiences, you know, came back, they were like, you know, oh, that, that ending was kind of a downer. We want something which is bombastic like the rest of the movie. And then they added the whole thing as, as it is in the movie. And the other one was Disturbing Behavior, which is a, a really, really good horror movie for those who haven't seen it. Have you seen you, it? You know, no, I haven't. But the thing is, while you're talking, what I'm remembering now is I remember the DVD of Blade. And yeah, they had when the they showed the, there. yeah, yeah, they they had the original ending, and they specifically said on the commentary that test audiences just disengaged when right. Stephen Dorff wasn't on on screen anymore, which is why they changed it and did what they did with the ending. And it was so fascinating to me because the ending that they had originally didn't really work. But I thought it was it was better, quote unquote, in terms of making more sense with the buildup of the script. And, uh, you know, I understood why they cut some certain other scenes along the way because there were all the other deleted scenes. And it was like if you cut those out, it, it drew less attention to the change at the end. Um, but here here's a question for you. Do you think that living in the era of seeing deleted scenes, of seeing these deleted scenes, has skewed people's perceptions about process in such a way that they, like, we can view a deleted scene, but it it will always lack the necessary context? Well, yeah, definitely, because they're not seeing it in the, you know, and that's why you can look at a scene like, in my opinion, you know, the phasma death and look at it on its own and be like, that's a great scene. Why do they, I mean, here's the thing that you always hear. Why do they cut it out? You know, if they were worried, you know, people always think of it in terms of like time, like running time. Like I would cut out another scene before I'd cut that one out. And like, to me, my, my thinking is like, that's not usually the issue. The issue is how does it fit within the movie? You know, like, would you, I mean, let's see the scene before it and the scene after it and how that all plays, you know, with this scene in place. And then say, like, okay, would you still leave it in? And I think the answer is usually no. You know, I mean, there's there's, I mean, there's a million reasons why scenes are cut out and, you know, it could be anything. I mean, like the disturbing behavior thing, 
is insane because the director basically was like, uh, you guys butchered my movie. You cut out 15 minutes and in the process cut out, you know, everything which made it at all relevant. You know, all the character stuff is gone. Like, I want all of that stuff on the disc, but I also want people to be able to understand where it is in context. And what he did was he, and it was a David Nutter, who at the time had done a bunch of X-Files stuff, and now he's gone on to great fame and fortune doing like Game of Thrones and stuff like that, whatever. And mm-hmm. he's like, uh, I like because he does commentary on all of them, and he's like, uh, this scene, which fits in between chapters 14 and 15 on your DVD, is my favorite mm-hmm. scene in the entire movie, <laughs> you know? And but, like you can and I have like reconstructed the movie, it probably about as clunkily as that diehard DVD, right? And watched yeah. it like in the overall context and you're just like, wow, this is so much better, you know? But but do you remember uh I think with the first X it was the first X-Men where th- that was the first time where I encountered what they called a branching version. Okay. Where they they were really trying to play with the DVD format, right. and they like said you X-Men can have one point five or whatever it was. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you could elect to watch a version of it where it reinserted these deleted scenes, so you could see them in context. But of course, the footage wasn't you know remastered, and it was you know like <laughs> you know it got all washed out, and yeah. you know it was obviously like footage that hadn't had anything done to it. Um, do you think that there's an opportunity now? Do you think that they can revisit now, especially with streaming? Why don't they revisit the branching version? If somebody really loves The Last Jedi, why wouldn't they want more of The Last Jedi? And why wouldn't you offer them this branching version? Like, are Or are we opening a Pandora's box? Because will people then say, well, I want half of these scenes back in, but not the other half. And we suddenly make the audience like... Do we make filmmaking too democratized at that point? Yeah, that's the thing that I'm always concerned about, which is why like, I never watched X-Men 1.5 because you know, all the filmmakers were like, uh, uh, we're just throwing this in because you know, we think uh, people might like to see it, but you know, the theatrical cut, that's the director's cut. You know, so I'm like, okay, I'm not even going to bother with this thing. But you know, there are certainly cases where... You know, you have the theatrical cut being the butchered version, and then they're like, we'll let you do this expanded thing, but we want to make sure, you know, that people can watch the theatrical as well. And, you know, then you do get, you know, like a a director's cut where you normally wouldn't have it. And I think that's really good. I mean, I think like in the case of something like Last Jedi, where it seems pretty clear that, you know, Ryan Johnson is happy with the theatrical cut, I don't see any... I mean, aside from it being like an interesting, um, you know, thought thing or or procedural whatever, you know, it, it just seems like no one's going to take it that way, right? Everyone's going to be like the extended cut, the director's cut. You'll hear, I mean, you hear that all the time. People say that all the time. It's like that's not the director's cut; it's just an extended cut, you know. And right. because of that, I, I I do kind of, you know think that that's sort of a a dangerous thing and 
I mean, I guess as long as there's the option for both, it's fine. And there's certainly times where, like, I've seen that stuff and I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, like, I, I kind of got screwed on this, but um, Full Frontal, Steven Soderbergh's movie, um, he, it was never released on Blu-ray in the U.S., but they did release it on Blu-ray in Canada because basically a bunch of, like, I, I think all of Miramax's catalog was sort of like, farmed out to this like really really tiny canadian company which could you know release stuff on blu-ray whenever they wanted to and they would do that with like movies which weren't released in the u.s yet but they would would literally just throw out like anything that they had whatever elements that they had and somewhere along the way for some reason probably because of some clerical error they received an hd copy of the essentially rough cut of full frontal before he had edited it down to what it was. So they released it on Blu-ray, not advertised as that or anything. And then, you know, I put it on and I'm like, what's with all these extra scenes, you know? And it's like, (laughs) they're just there because nobody realized that they were releasing the rough cut. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't, I don't want this really, but now that I have it, I will watch it for educational purposes, you know? Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I remember uh, Nicholas Meyer uh, in an interview, uh, you know, he's sitting on stage talking to somebody, so, you know, maybe it was a panel or something like that, uh, specifically said that um, art was not a democracy. Yeah. And so I, I do think that we we nudge dangerously close. Even if you don't like something, Except, you know, to borrow a line from Lando in Solo, you know, I don't like it, I don't agree with it, but I accept it. Yeah. And, you know, that that's sort of the interesting conundrum, I think, uh, you know, even going back to the special editions, because aren't those the original cuts that we really desperately want as Star Wars fans, is we want to see those original cuts more than the others? Yeah, and and that's the thing, and and that's the thing which you know forever. And I mean, like I totally agree with you on the Lando quote, you know, and it's the reason why I, I want to see the Lord and Miller cut or or whatever, because if I put in Star Wars, I'm putting in the special edition because George Lucas clearly wants that version to be seen. But, yeah, but I do still think that for historical purposes, there should oh, yeah. be an original cut available. To study well, I think I I want an I want an original cut available just because that's the one that the AFI put into their, or yeah. you know the National Film Registry put into their vault. Right. I want that version, but I want that version of any movie that's been put into that vault. But with all of that, with with all of the production issues that we know of that have been there with these Star Wars films, especially with the standalones. What do you think James Mangold's chances are of getting his version of Boba Fett to the big screen? Well, I'd say they're pretty good because he's number two already, right? They've already fired someone off of that movie. So he is the replacement director, right? Um, Good point. Because Josh Trank, which speaking of Josh Trank, that's another one. (laughs) I don't know if anyone remembers uh, opening night of Fantastic Four where he let out a few choice tweets, one of which was there is uh, an alternate cut of Fantastic Four, which no one will ever see, which everyone would have loved. 
and uh, it would have been very critically acclaimed and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, whatever. But, but no one will ever see it because the studio will never release it. Something along those lines. It's always something you want your director to tweet out on opening night of yeah. your, your uh, new movie. Which it's is good optics. Probably why he's not directing Boba Fett. But, um, but yeah, he's gone. So, and I think it's really funny, whatever, that, I mean, like I was in a restaurant before going into the movie theater to see the first show, show of Solo, and that's when the information came out about Mangold directing Boba Fett, because in an alternate reality where Josh Trank wasn't fired, yeah. the movie that we would have been going to see this weekend was Boba Fett, right? So, I mean, that was the original plan. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely excited about it because Mangold has sort of proven himself. And I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, we've seen now is, I mean, here he's done two of these comic book movies, which are kind of in the same vein as you know, a Star Wars movie in terms of the, you know, studio uh, whatevers and all the all the rest of it. So he knows the game, you know, he knows what's expected of him and they know what he's going to deliver. And he's also, I think, a bit more established. Like a lot of these people who they've been getting so far have been sort of like younger filmmakers and everything, you know, people, you know, who are essentially getting their big breaks you know whether it's gareth edwards it's like okay he did godzilla colin trevorrow okay jurassic world but like one movie under their belt where like mangled is closer to ron howard in a lot of ways he's been making movies Mm. for 20 years he's i think been nominated for an oscar you know he's he's made two comic book movies which have been very well received one of his actresses one best actress yeah, uh, for, for girl, girl interrupted. interrupted. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and, and he's got that sort of. I mean, Lord and Miller had this too, but he does have that even more so than them. He's got that sort of like cachet with like nerds. You know, everybody loved Logan. So you, I actually know somebody who didn't really. It's mind blowing. Yeah, they're yeah. Weird. It's really mind. It's really <laughs> mind blowing because uh, I, I I don't even know how the conversation got there, but eventually it got there, and he was like, "Eh, I didn't really like it." What? <laughs> what you? Why wouldn't you like that? And it was just, it was just, it like brains coming out of my ears. Like I couldn't even, like I tried to go through the reasoning with him, but it just didn't happen. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, he also did uh, 310 to Yuma, uh, which was a remake and which I adore. I absolutely adore 310 to Yuma. I think it is um, magnificent. stars uh, Christian Bale and uh, Russell Crowe and a, a tremendous supporting cast. And I just absolutely adore that film. Yeah, I need to see it again because I saw it when it first came out and I didn't like it, but... I've since um, read the short story and went back and watched the original, which isn't very good. And um, now I, I want to watch the, the remake, and I've been meaning to revisit that for a few months now. So 
Maybe maybe we should do that at some point. But, so. Yeah, no, absolutely. But see, the thing is, there there there's a guy because Logan is sort of a western. Yeah, three ten to Yuma is a western. Yeah, and that is definitely in the wheelhouse of Star Wars's influence. Yeah, and so Boba Fett in particular, I think. The old gunslinger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like he, you know, when he's walking on screen in, uh, you know, in Empire Strikes Back. They have the sound of spurs as he's walking along. Mm-hmm. Like this is literally the old gunslinger in the Wild West. You know, the Lee Van Cleef in uh, you know, the Man with No Name trilogy. Like that's I'm on board with that. I mean, but what's so interesting to me is he's great and I'm on board with it because of that. But don't you think it's as hard a sell as solo? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's pr- probably going to be harder. It's weird, you know. I, I think like if they would have done this in like nineteen ninety five, people would be like, "Yeah, you know, Boba yeah. Fett." Everyone loved Boba Fett. You know, Shadows of the Empire and everything like that. And I think, yeah, over time, people have just been like, "This is a nothing character," you know. Well, I got I got so fed up with the whole Boba Fett mystique. I remember seeing on opening day the Empire Strikes Back a special edition. And I, I have this curse, if you will. I seem to have shaken it in recent times, but I had a curse where I would sit down and it could be an empty movie theater. And then the most obnoxious person in the world would come in and sit next to me or one row behind me. And there was one uh, group of people that came in And we're sitting there. We were seeing like the 4 o'clock in the afternoon showing. And one thing I remember is they were shoveling popcorn into their mouths like family feed bag. I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, like I'm sitting there and I'm like, whatever. I'm in the seat that I love. I'm in seventh row. I know what theater I'm in. You know, like I was in the seventh row, four seats from the edge. I was exactly where I wanted to be. They came in and I'm like, I'm not moving. And when Boba Fett and they were they were doing like the mystery science theater 3000 heckling through the movie and i'm like oh i just you know just riding it out and then when fett appeared on screen they were like boba fett boba fett and i turned and it was like i just unleashed on them i was like would you please shut up and just let some people enjoy this film and then like turned back and looked at the screen and it was silent through the rest of the film so that's good it worked out yeah you know yeah no but but I came to hate Boba Fett because of the people that loved Boba Fett is the point of that story. And that's why one of the things that I love most about Attack of the Clones is that Lucas, all of this mythos that had built up around Boba Fett, he was like, eh, screw it. No, it doesn't work. I, like, I, when I saw Boba Fett's origin in Attack of the Clones, like I could have stood up and just been like, thank you. Thank you. You invalidated all. All of it. I was so incredibly happy with that. So, you know. It's an interesting take. I don't know. I mean, I think that a lot of people kind of felt like, you know, yeah, you're invalidating this really cool thing that you had. Really? Journeyman Journeyman Protectorate Jaster Muriel was super cool to you? What? That was who Boba Fett supposedly was. That was in Tales of the Bounty Hunters, was he was Journeyman Protectorate Jaster Muriel who took on the persona of Boba Fett. They turned him into an anti-hero. Okay. Where he was 
Okay, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that. You know Star Wars fans are, are paying attention to all of that stuff, and that contributed to the lore and everything like that. Okay. And then you had the Return of the Jedi radio drama with, uh, uh, oh gosh, it was Ed Bagley Jr., which was an odd casting choice for Boba Fett, confronting Solo. And then like the, the, it was amazing because all of the stuff that came out after Attack of the Clones where they were like, oh, well, Journeyman protector at Jaster Muriel was still valid because that was a persona that was in Mandalorian history that Boba Fett took over and stuff like that. Okay, but I'm talking about, you know, people like me who has never heard that name before in his entire life, right? Who is like, all, all I know about Boba Fett is what I've seen on screen, you know? So... Which was... Six lines of dialogue, but that's cool. Exactly, that's cool. right. The and, fact that it's only and six he lines mi- of dialogue. And he missed a uh, uh, shot at Luke's back while Luke wasn't even paying attention to him. It happens, you know? But then again, I, I mean, I tend, I tend to think of him in Empire terms more than anything else. But regardless of any of that, you know, all of that mystique is gone. And what, what it was replaced with was something which was not very interesting. And one of the things which... Oh! We'll disagree on okay. that point. That's fine. One, one of the things which I found to be really interesting was like in the Clone Wars, Boba Fett, but like Boba Fett's coming. I'm like, yeah, Boba Fett, right? And then it's like, okay, so he's just a guy, right? Okay, he's just a guy. But then they're like, the Mandalorian warriors are here. And I'm like, yeah. And the thing which I kind of realized was it really is the armor, which is the cool thing, right? Like, I I, I think, uh, what's her name? Um, From Rebels, right? Like, she's super cool. Because she's got the Mandalorian armor. Sabine Red. Sabine. She's way cooler yes. than Boba Fett is without his armor, you know? Well, I mean, Fett definitely had a mystique built up around him. Uh, you know, if you go back to issue 81 of the Marvel run, that was the first time they ever brought him back. Right. And, of course, he just died at the end of that issue. Spoilers. And Dark Horse uh, brought him back, and he teamed up with Dengar pretty regularly. Uh, because Dengar had a specific beef with Solo, and I mean, and the thing is, Boba Fett was born of the marketing push for Star Wars between Star Wars and Empire, yeah. and, you know, and and those sorts of things. But I I am intrigued because the Fett mythos has has changed in such a way that one of the storylines we were cheated of in the Clone Wars was apparently they released some of those unfinished episodes or something like that. But, like, there was a whole thing with, like, Cad Bane tied into it. And, like, Cad Bane, in a sense, like with Solo, Cad Bane plays the role to Boba Fett that um, Tobias plays with Han in Solo. Yeah. And although, it's you know, it's over the course of the series and everything like that. But then there is a, you know, like, there's a big moment. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I like that stuff. I like finding out where people come from because it's, it is like sitting down with your dad or your grandfather or something like that. And you know, some of the family history, but then years have gone on and they let their guard down and they're like, well, yeah, there was this one time that this happened and you say, Oh really? And it like sort of changes your perception of everything. Like you find out, you know, like you grow up as a kid and you think, oh, well, you know, my dad fell in love with my mom and stuff like that. But and then you find out and, you know, editorial you sort of thing. And then you find out that your dad had 
been engaged before your mom or something like that. It totally changes your whole perception of relationships and love and right. the nature of commitment and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, and, and I mean, I guess my thinking is, like, we have that with, you know, episode two. So now, like, what I want to see is, you know, Boba Fett, you know, whether, whether it's in between Star Wars and Empire or whatever, but have it really be like a standalone sort of man with no name thing, you know, where it is just a story. It's not trying to explain his origins or anything. It's just trying to show him doing his thing in the context that we know him as. Well, unless they want to invalidate the Clone Wars, they, you know, that's what it'll be. Right. You know? So. Right. But if they start doing like, oh, and here's some backstory with him. I, I don't know if that would. I do think that they should. I mean, unless there's some reason not to. Unless it requires some sort of like Shakespearean level whatever. I, I do think that they should cast Daniel Logan because why yes. not? Right? They to- They completely should. Yeah. Completely agree with that. And I think also that you're, you know, you're in the territory where I think it's a lock. Now, you know, you didn't like certain things in Solo. Like, I think it's a lock that they're going to explain why Darth Vader says to him no disintegrations. Mm-hmm. And so and that's, that's definitely good. That's definitely going to be explained. And that's and so it therefore probably means that you're still not going to get your Star Wars movie without a lightsaber in it. Well, probably. And, you know, and, you know, fine. If you're going to explain one thing, that's fine. But, like, literally, what this movie makes it look like is Han Solo, whenever he's reminiscing about the past, there's really just, like, one week that he's talking about. One week where all the cool stuff happens. So untrue. So... Okay. So incredibly untrue. But but th- so no, but it untrue. literally freaking is true because it's literally what no. we just saw. <laughs> no, 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 no. See that that's but th- there there are all of these things. I I don't I don't want to go down this this road because honestly the whole debate about Solo has become like the prequels. All like I'm having shell shock, uh, or as they say now PTSD about the whole thing where it's like it's seriously become so entrenched where it's it's just a uh, you know, codifying what happened with the Last Jedi, where it's like, no, stop it! I don't want these arguments happening anymore. Like I, I've been through this before, and the thing is, like I'm consciously making the effort. Like honestly, you want to talk about westerns and the old gunslinger? Like I've consciously been making the effort. I'm like, I'm not coming out of retirement for this one. I'm not coming out, okay. and I'm not going to come out guns blazing to defend these things. It's gonna, it's because you know what? I'm fine. I'm fine with people not liking it. Yeah. No problem. And it's going to happen for every single Star Wars movie from now to the end of time. There's no avoiding it. But no matter what side you're on, there's going to be people who are going to be violently opposed to the other. And, I mean, yeah. I I liked Solo. I thought it was good. So you're saying the only solution is for us to start getting into fights physically? No. just I'm a little disappointed, Mike. No, I think the only solution is to just not talk about Star Wars anymore. But what's the fun in that? I mean, honestly, I feel like I can't even talk about Marvel anymore because unless you come out and you're like, oh, I love Marvel, blah, 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 like you can't even have a voice out there. And unless you're going to like next stomp DC, don't even bother saying anything because there's just no point to you even offering any opinions. See, I think that's uh, see uh, like a thing where, you know, I mean, there, there are plenty of 
Marvel movies, which I've thought are better and worse than Solo, right? And yet, I'm not going to... I mean, like, we could talk about Avengers Infinity War, you know? And I could say, it was fine, you know? And the, right, the, the, but, but, but here's the thing. Like, there are people who grew up with Marvel or whatever... And that is, I mean, well, now we have kids who have grown up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's their Star Wars, right? And there are people who grew up with DC. And when they see these movies, they feel as passionately about them as we do about Star Wars. Me, personally, I couldn't care less because I know that it's just a movie. With Star Wars, I don't, even though I should rationally as a, you know, as a as a human being be able to realize that yes this is just a movie i don't see it as that yet so when something is not up to the standards which i'm looking for it's going to be a huge disappointment right that's why we we, we have these passionate debates about star wars is because it's so important to us whereas like with marvel i can say Avengers Infinity War was okay. And there might be other people who are like, you're insane! It's the best movie ever made! How could you have not cried? And I'd be like, because I don't really care that much. Sorry. You know? Yeah. That's the thing. So let me ask you, then, just you and me, this is, this is your, I, I'm leaving myself open. Uh-huh. Open here. Be as vicious as you want to. Okay. Um, because I will feel free to disagree and, if I want to. And you can to. be as vicious as you want to, too. Yeah. I'd never be mean to you, Mike. You should know that by now. Okay. I've known you for too long. You've known me for too long. Is there a vicious bone in my body? Don't answer. <laughs> what I'm going to say is between you and me, okay, we have had substantially different reactions to The Last Jedi and to Solo. In your opinion... What is the core difference? This is this is the question we close out on. It, I'm not gonna I'm I'm not gonna protest any of your insights or anything like that. You know me pretty well. What is the core difference here? This is something I've thought about a lot because how do I describe this? You guys don't sugarcoat it. You guys you are the Star Wars fans that you read about, right? Like the ones who have seen everything and read everything and have more knowledge about Star Wars than anyone else on the planet. And in some ways I see what you're... I'm always very curious about what your opinions on these things will be because I see that as sort of being like the baseline for Star Wars. You know, you're not original, you know, trilogy people who, you know, can't, you know, like anything beyond the original trilogy. You're not kids who grew up with the prequels and think that the original trilogy is old and outdated or whatever. I mean, you have seen it all, and it's a weird thing, which I think is happening now. <laughs> because yeah. up until Force Awakens, right, I would have, and I do this, I think, probably more than you guys do, now okay but i i would put you in the category that a lot of people would sort of see as being star wars apologists right 
where it's like, I yeah. cannot say that I don't like this thing because it's Star Wars, right? That's what a lot of people think. Anyone who likes anything about the prequels, you know, f- fall into that category. And I would say that I did that myself, right, with a lot of things. I mean, sure, the Clone Wars movie. I came out of that. I'm like, that was really good. You look at the Clone Wars movie now, uh, that's not good. You can totally tell that it's not supposed to be a movie, right? If you were to break it up into individual episodes, they'd be fine. But as a whole, it's like, what's going on in this thing, right? It's not good. It's not. But, like, I still like the prequels, not nearly as much as I did. And there was something that happened in, like, the Disney era where all of a sudden there was, like, a rift. And and you guys, who I thought were, like, it's Star Wars, I have to like it, all of a sudden were like, I don't like it. And then with Rogue One, it's like, I like it. And then with Last Jedi, it's like, I don't like it. And then with this one, I'm like, you guys are looking forward to this. Like, why? I don't understand. And then, you know, because it seems like that's not what the, uh, you know, just like, this seems like Force Awakens times 10. You know, what's going on here? I don't get it. I don't understand. But if it was Force Awake, if it was Force Awakens times ten, why wouldn't you like it? What I mean by Force Awakens times ten is I mean like nostalgia factory times ten. That's interesting. That see the thing is I find I find that interesting. I don't discount what you're saying. I I understand where you're coming from. I would what I would tack on to that because I have no desire to be like defensive or anything like that. What I would tack on to that would be, and this is going to be a clumsy and terrible word to use, but the word I would use if you're describing something like that would be like a quote unquote star Wars scholar, right? Mm -hmm. I studied the texts. I've been knee deep in it. Right. Like I know all of the the behind the scenes stuff. When I read the making of the Empire Strikes Back, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I know the the source that he's citing because I have it on my shelf, you know, sort of thing. You know, at the oh the Alan Arnold book. Okay, great, yeah, I get that. Like, so I've been knee deep in it, and you know, yes, obsessed with it because of the nature of it, right? So I would say that what happens when somebody else comes in who doesn't uh, operate at that same level, those shortcomings can sometimes be very magnified. You know, for instance, and, and, and the thing is, I'll, I'll, I'll call out the quote-unquote casual fan. Mm-hmm. My wife is a casual fan, the very definition of it. She liked the prequels. She grew up with the originals. And uh, when she saw Force Awakens... She was the one that told me to lighten up, and I did, because we were driving back from that showing, and she, I, I've recounted this story before, and she looked at me and she said, you just need to just chill out for a second here. And I was like, what do you mean? And she like laid into me in a very you know polite, spousal way. I said, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, I see what you're saying. And she said, it's like, you need some perspective. You need to step back from this. And that's how I came to sort of love, like I, I wrote like a seven- part piece on it on my my 
blog about how I came to love The Force Awakens because I let go of certain things. And then you get to Rogue One, and Rogue One, I was openly critical of certain things, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think my my view of it has has softened over time, and I've come to like it more than I did the first, you know, couple of times that I saw it. Um, when I got the Last Jedi, there were specifically just structural things that I had an issue with, and then you get to Solo, and. I honestly think because, uh, you know, Matt and I just talked about this, you know, for aggressive negotiations, right, where we weren't even doing a review of the film. We were talking about how there are certain references in it that don't even need to be there. They are simply there as window dressing. The the skull or the, the you know, the, the reconstructed Sith holocron, they're just things on a shelf, right, or a throwaway reference in a line. Oh, you're the guy that killed Ara Singh. Oh, no, it was the fall that killed her. I just pushed, right? Those are the sorts of things where I definitely think that as much as I love Solo, I really love Solo because it's something that embraces those things in the little throwaway bits. It's it's as if it were put together by a quote-unquote Star Wars scholar, which makes sense because Kasdan's been there since 1980, and obviously he had a little help from the story group along the way. You know, like those are the sorts of things that would amplify my enjoyment of the film. And, and I think that gets to the heart of why, why my, my initial perception of, of what it is that, that you guys liked and didn't like was wrong. You know, my initial perception was you guys liked anything because it was Star Wars. But now I think what I'm starting to see is you guys... You don't. You want to see Star Wars as originally conceived by George Lucas, right? So anytime something sort of grates against that, even if you can acknowledge that it's good, you're like, but it's not Star Wars, right? Whereas with uh, me, I, I well, I think that the, I don't know. I think that that might be. No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. Okay. I, I don't care. You know, like if they explore different things or they're not, quote-unquote, the way it was originally conceived. I know that this isn't going to be the way that it was originally conceived. I'm fine with that. It has to do with existing in a space where you understand something came before. If Avengers Infinity War had said, well, we just don't like that thing from Winter Soldier, so we're going to kind of ignore it, or we're not going to acknowledge it, or we're not going to... you know that becomes a thing where it's like, well, wait a minute, no. Like, what? why do you do that? And that I think that the, the big underlying issue, Last Jedi ignores Return of the Jedi's thematic import to the entire saga. And that becomes, I think for me, an underlying issue where you can't just say, oh, well, this is something Luke needed to learn in Empire Strikes Back. Well, Luke learned that lesson. You can't just turn it back and say, well, I want to explore as if he didn't learn that lesson. You're taking the character and regressing the person at that point for the sake of the movie you want to make as opposed to serving the character as they existed up until that point. I can see how that would be a problem. I don't think that that happens in in Last Jedi, but I think... I mean, I see Force Awakens as being the fracture point. You know, not not to say that, you know, you don't think it's a good movie or whatever, but I do think that there is this sort of feeling of, like, it's good, but it's not 
the Star Wars that we, you know, have come to know and love. Well, and and I guess my, th- the, the, I think where where that 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 rift occurs between you know getting back to our question where that rift occurs between, you know, y- you and me and our opinions of these things is like from back before the special editions, I have always been uh, like, you know, Irvin Kirshner, you know, is the guy who saved Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's way better than, you know, George Lucas at directing and, and everything like that. And to me, Star Wars has never been a one-man show. It's yes, yes. It was created by George Lucas, and none of it would exist if it weren't for him. But to me, the highest high points in the Star Wars saga have been when other people have been making it. And well, uh, no, well, well, but but the thing is, that's uh, I I don't think that I've ever been in a position of not acknowledging the co- oh, contributions no. of. You know Henry Gilroy. Oh yeah, and no, no. I'm, Walter Murch who directed an episode and, and stuff like oh, that. I'm like, not saying that. It's at always all. been. I'm not saying that I, at I know, all. But, but there like, is always a, a sort of like there's a there's a running theme of like that that looks like something that George Lucas would do, you know, where it's like okay, that's cool, and and you know that is something that I want to see, you know, and the fact that you are so aware of what George Lucas would do is really impressive and that's like something which I'm always sort of chasing and why I'm so interested in what you have to say about these movies because I want to be like okay is is this like does this fit in with George Lucas's vision like I want to know the answer to that you know I think that I can ask does this fit into George Lucas's vision and you would be like yes or no and I'd be like okay that's really interesting I want to know that but that doesn't impact whether or not I like it I and and th- and that's the thing is I, I think that I think that your your interpretation here is very close but I wouldn't agree with it because Lucas himself like especially if you look at the Clone Wars was willing to break and remold what things meant if you look at the prequels he was willing to break and remold what things meant sort of thing and I'm not at all married to this idea that it's only that which has been you know blessed by lucas which should be embraced like i'm i but i think that there is a there has been a conscious decision and i think that solo is the first time where i've really not felt this way but the way that i felt since the disney era started is that there is this conscious decision to disavow that which is popular to disavow. That, well, yeah, that's and, th- and that is what I tend to react about. That and that definitely happened with Force Awakens, and uh, I would say it happened with Last Jedi as well. Yeah, I definitely agree that that happened, right? And then when Rogue One came out, and that definitely did not happen. I, you know, th- that was when I sort of because, like I said, you know, this is this is something which I'm whatever the, 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 when that that's when i kind of realized that yeah you know it's not star wars cuz i i do feel like there is part of me that does that part of me says still to this day like it's star wars i have to like it you know what i mean and but see but see but see here's what's interesting because matt rushing loved and adored rogue one yeah i did not love and adore rogue one 
and I I flagged it for a lot of the same things that I sort of beat up Last Jedi for. Okay. Right? So does that recast your assessment at all? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe I, I, and maybe I, I, I thought that you liked Rogue One more than you did. I don't know. Maybe because because I, of Last Jedi, because Last Jedi was so was you know because like Force Awakens, like you said, at first you were like, uh, and then you came around to it. I think Rogue One, you're pretty much like it was fine. You know, whereas Last Jedi, you were like, this movie's not fine. Even, even I mean, you, oh you know, no, you, I said it was yeah, fine. Said, it's three out of five for God's right, sake. Right, right, right. You, said, you whole, said it was whole, fine. No, your 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 mouth the, said it was fine, but your heart didn't. No, no, no. <laughs> the whole re- the whole reason I haven't revisited it is because I don't want to say that it's less than fine. You like, can I'm, say it's perfectly I'm, okay to say that. I understand that. I don't want to. I don't want to go back to it because of these things that I pointed out, I want to give it time. Okay. I think that there is a specific issue with the idea of I'm just going to rewatch the crap out of this thing. Oh, yeah. It's like Scorsese was talking about where it's like, I don't want to treat it just like content. Right. I want to really think about the things that I have said about it. And then I want to come back to it later. Yeah. Have I changed? Have I gotten a different perspective on things? And that's something which I've noticed. That's the sort of thing I want to do. That's definitely something which I've noticed lately. There have been a few movies which, by no intent, I I hadn't rewatched for years, and then I just went back and revisited them. One of them was Hannibal, which we were just talking about. Like when Hannibal came yeah. out, I was like, "This is amazing. This is a masterpiece. This is one of Ridley Scott's best movies." You know, this whole trilogy, Manhunter. Silence of the Lambs and, and Hannibal is fantastic and each one is different and, and wonderful in its own way and you know this this one is a standout I put it like at number three or something like that on my top 10 you know for that year and everything and now looking back at it you know after ha- not having seen it for probably over a decade I'm like it's good you know but then I like start thinking about like let's say the other movies that came out that year you know 2001 and like the one which was right behind it, Vanilla Sky, you know, and I'm like, Vanilla Sky is a million times better than Hannibal. Like, what was I even thinking? And and Vanilla Sky is a film that I definitely need to revisit because I remember all the hype about it and then watching it and at the end saying, that's it? Well, that's all. You know, you but know, I, you have, a, you I have a feeling now you can go yeah. in and watch the alternate cut. Hey, ah, hey, yeah. there you go. Alternate cut, mm-hmm. which alternate they, they cut. altered it because I, th- I think it was I think it was because it came out right after 9-11 and there was some uh, senseless, vi- quote unquote, senseless violence, which they wanted to eliminate. And, you know, now people can see it for what it is instead of just in the context of you know well okay okay we've gone down some interesting roads yeah. here so and, and, I, and also I want... let me just say here that you know yeah i could be totally wrong i mean this is a work in progress obviously like i was saying i thought that you guys <laughs> were originally like me you know and being like sort of like star wars um you know apologists or whatever which i do think i mean because there's never been a star wars movie that i haven't liked and there are times where, like, I'll go back and I'll watch some of the stuff and be like, yeesh, what was I thinking, right? But, like, coming out of it, I've always been like, I mean, I mean, like, I'll, I'll never forget my friend Josh, like, like s- saying, like, 
you're having a debate right now about what which one to put on your top 10 of all time die hard or star wars episode one the phantom menace like i literally had that debate you know now i don't even know if it would make my top 10 of that year you know attack of the clones number two on my top 10 list and revenge of the sith number one in 2005 the year that batman begins came out right i mean there's definitely this sort of like inflated thing that i have going on Right with all the Star Wars movies, and we'll continue. I mean, Force Awakens, number one on my list. Uh, everything, and and I think a lot of it has to do with just me not being able to come to terms with the idea that Star Wars might be bad. And I, I really thought that that was kind of what was going on with you guys too, until we got to Force Awakens, and then I realized that no. There's something more going on, something a bit more sophisticated and something involving what your perception of Star Wars is, which is probably closer to what George Lucas's perception of Star Wars is than anyone else who's talking about Star Wars. And that's the thing that goes back to why, you know, talk film society loves Last Jedi and hates Solo, right? Because they see them as just movies and not as something that came out of this one person's vision. So I'm not... Again, I, my, my whole again, point here not is... E- not, even, not even about one person's vision, just about what's been established okay. before and, and my, not disavowing my, pieces. My whole point here is that when I say that, right, I don't mean it as a negative. I think it's very interesting, even though I don't agree with what you're saying, and I have a sure. different perspective on it. But that to answer your question, that's what it was. But I don't want you to think that I think that you're crazy for not liking something because I think the reason why you don't like something is because it doesn't fit in with that vision. I think you're crazy for sure. tons of other reasons, but that's not one of them. Well, and if anybody wants to offer further <laughs> suggestions for why you may be right or wrong about why I'm crazy, where can they find you online, Mike? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website, uh, FilmDamagePod.com, where I do a, a podcast called Film Damage about film projection and stuff. This week, I talked to Max about Solo, which is interesting because he hasn't seen it, uh, but it's amusing mm. nonetheless. And we also talk a lot about uh, the Sensate finale, which I did see and which is great and which everyone should should watch. And we talk about a few other things here and there, too. So check it out. Cool. I, I, uh, I enjoy film damage. Well, thanks. I do. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's a good show. I encourage people to listen to it. I did give you guys a review. So oh, I did hope, you? Uh, oh, I'll have to check that I out. I did. Thanks. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think Max will especially like the last thing I wrote <laughs> on it. So We'll, we'll read uh, it on the <laughs> So. I hope so. Uh, So, yes. uh, And if you want to reach out to me and let me know why I'm nuts or why I'm not, uh, you can find me as Kessel Junkie out there online, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. You can also find me uh, right here on the network co-hosting Aggressive Negotiations with Matthew Rushing. It's a Star Wars podcast that gets into the nooks and crannies of the Star Wars galaxy. And you can find me out there floating around the cosmos co-hosting Words with Nerds, a little comedy show that I do with my pal Craig Sorrell. So thank you for joining us here on Great Shot Kid this week, and we will talk to you next time. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.